Hi, this is Matt Stagliano, and thanks for being part of the Artist Forge. We're a community of creatives who help each other think like an artist by discussing creativity as a process instead of a skill or a talent. We believe everyone has what it takes to create something amazing. We just need some encouragement and inspiration along the way. What you're about to hear is a live recording of one of our daily discussions on the Clubhouse app. If you like what you hear, I encourage you to join our private Facebook group or visit us on the web at theartistforge.com. Now on to the show. Welcome to Morning Walk with the Artist Forge. I'm your host, Nicole York. Today, we're going to be talking about something that I never really thought about as a younger soul, but now is definitely on my mind, particularly with the fact that my husband is going to be retiring from the military this year. And so I'm thinking a lot about what retirement looks like as an artist, if it is a thing, what we do to plan for that, but also how do we sell our work? So these ideas are related in my mind because obviously for many of us, either those of us who are running a solo business, those of us who are freelancers, um, those of us who you know have gallery representation or uh, a have a uh, an agent working for us or whatever's going on um an artist rep at some point we're not going to be doing this anymore we don't know what that looks like necessarily all of us some of us maybe have planned for that and we're putting a little bit of every sale aside maybe some of us are putting particularly successful work aside with the idea that we'll sell an original later on and help fund ourselves that way and but others of us have got this business going. We don't have a plan or an exit strategy for what it looks like when we're not running our business anymore. And we're not really doing a lot with the idea that someday we might not be able to do what we do for money anymore, whether that is because arthritis strikes or our eyesight suffers, or we're just tired of the rat race and the pressure to constantly produce. And so at some point we go, I'm ready to just be done and maybe only do art when I just feel like making myself happy. Whatever it is, that day is going to come for all of us at some point. And if we don't plan for it, we could end up like some of the most famous artists we know who died in poverty, like Rembrandt, who was buried in an unmarked grave, amazingly considering the effect that he had on art after his life, Vermeer, who also died at a young age and bankrupt and famously Van Gogh. Many of these artists who either had patrons or were very popular even during their lives, who just didn't have a way to provide for themselves later on. That's stuff that we need to think about. So how does that affect us now? And how do we start planning for those things? Um, How do we look into the future and ask ourselves, as we have so many times in this room before, what do I want my life to look like? And how do I start making my way there or making the necessary preparations that I need to make so I can be there at some point? So what does that look like for us now? How do we start prepping for that? How do we position ourselves? How do we sell our work? What do we keep in mind? So I'm going to start by obviously... Um, asking my panelists today. Wow, this is strange. Um, <laughs> I was having trouble making people a moderator for a second there. Um, so I want to start with the panelists today and just ask the simple question of, is this something that you're thinking about? Are you even thinking about what retirement as an artist looks like for you? And if you are and you're doing anything about it, what are you doing? How did you start thinking about that? Uh, I beat you, Matt. <clears throat> I guess he, you won. Yeah, I won. I won. Yeah, very appropriate topic. Um, I, it's not that I've been thinking about it recently, but I have thought about it, and I do think about it often. Um, and I, I have the, the luxury, I guess, that I've already kind of designed. A, I don't want to call it a semi-retirement, but a second career. That's that's. Uh, that includes my photography in it. But I think further ahead, when I get to an age where uh, it's not necessarily that I won't be age where I won't be able to physically do the work, you know, like arthritis or whatever, whatever thing stops us from from actually functioning properly. It's more about when I'm 
tired of the grind or the type of uh, the process that it takes to 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 get there to do what I do today. And there and there's two things that I I kind of uh, want to do in that case. And I um I one of them I'm setting myself up to do. The other one I it's kind of on the back burner. Uh, the one on the back burner is thinking of other types of photography that is more appropriate to what my lifestyle would be at the time, right? So, for example, I've always been interested in, uh, right now I do obviously portraiture and, you know, it, it requires dealing with people and going out there and getting clients and, and the whole shebang that goes with it. It doesn't mean that I won't have to in this uh, different kind of uh, uh, photography genre, but I've been interested in product photography and in my in the back of my mind, uh, when I just want to kind of sit home, get into my studio and just have fun during the day and, and maybe do sell here and there, I would get into product photography because I'm less dependent on models and hair and makeup artists and so on and so forth. So changing or looking for a different uh, form of either art or photography could be one way that uh, that can be appropriate for a retirement. So that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is coaching and mentoring, which I'm already doing uh, more coaching on the business side uh, than on the photography side. Uh, but uh, mentoring and 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 in the photography uh, sphere uh, is something I'd like to kind of start building up so that when I am at that age where I'm not out there, where I can just sit at home and do what I do, I, I would love to be able to do that in a relatively consistent way. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So my question around the product photography would be, um, are you looking at that as an income potential or are you looking at that as this is what I can do when I still want to do photography, but I don't want the grind anymore? Um, yeah, so my, that, my, uh, my, yeah, sorry, I thought you were finished. Go ahead. So that what? Oh, I was just going to say, so, you know, just that question of um, what, what our financials look like, like, is that factoring into your equation when you're coming up with this idea of, you know, potentially product photography or other kinds of coaching. Yeah. Well, that's a good point because we're not all, we don't all have the same financial uh, um, situation. So I can only speak for me. And and for me, it's not my first driver for at least for that period of, uh, you know, that, that future, uh, you know, uh, uh, time frame. Uh, so no, my thought is that I, I would keep my mind engaged and my creativity engaged by doing that. Uh, but knowing me, I will also, um find a way to kind of get some income from it but it's not it wouldn't be the driver for it because i you know i'm already i'm already getting a pension from my previous job so i won't go hungry without you know without making an income especially as we get older obviously we need less and less well i don't know about that yet but that's what people say anyways uh so yeah uh, it's really not the driver for me but i can see it happening at a at a small scale Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad we actually began there because I think it's important for us to recognize that that eventuality of either, you know, retirement or semi-retirement or whatever it is that we're looking at is going to be a little bit different for us, depending on what we have done so far. And you had a, you know, a full career um, in the aerospace industry. And so, of course, that gives you a certain set of circumstances that some people are definitely going to be able to relate to having, you know, potentially already outworked their, their first career. And some of us haven't gotten there yet. And so that's something we need to be considering at the end of this kind of initial stage of our lives. Will we have planned well for that? Or is that something that we're going to have to take into account as we look at what retirement might potentially be and how we need to be selling our work or planning for that? So I'm glad we began that way. And I'm also glad that you will be able to really factor in like what's going to keep me engaged and what's what am I going to enjoy? What's going to be fulfilling as the primary factor and then monetization as the secondary factor, because that definitely seems like it'll take a little bit of the pressure off of you in the long run. Whoops. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's like I said, it's, it's, it's a secondary driver for me and it's really remaining engaged and, and remaining active and, and, uh, uh, finding ways to still exchange and share with other people and, 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 you know, uh, learn and share and, and, uh, continue, uh, offering whatever help I can offer to others is, is really what's prime for me. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I think that's a really fantastic place for us to start just keeping in mind that 
as the beginning of this conversation, all of us are going to be at different places in the long run. Um, and so meaning we're going to have different priorities that we have to keep in mind as we ask ourselves this question, what does retirement look like and how do we sell our work? I mean, those two things are kind of, you know, intertwined. So Matt, you also had unmuted. So I'm dying to hear what you have to say. Yeah. And forgive me for any road noise as I drive, but um, I've got a, I got a lot of thoughts on this and retirement or kind of end of my journey has always been something that's been pretty present in my mind for a long time. Um, I've always been driven by safety and security. So I'm always thinking, you know, when am I going to retire? Am I going to have enough money? So on and so forth. But for me in the past year or so, that mindset has shifted from financial stability and security into purpose. And what is the purpose of my being here? What is the purpose of me being an artist? What is my work saying? What is it doing? Where do I want to wind up? And for me, it becomes less about retirement as a goal or a milestone. And I'm beginning to look at the remainder of my life as a life filled with purpose. So what an exercise I did last year was write up my obituary saying that, hey, I got a good 40 years left, right? 30 years left, whatever it might be. And saying, okay, what does my obituary look like? And then reverse engineering those decades back to where I am now at 48 and saying, how do I make steps to get to that end result, which is I want to have an artist retreat. I want to have a place where people can come and just create art. I want to be able to have X amount of dollars in the bank to support this foundation. I want to be able to have had impact with some of the work um, that I've created in such and such a way. So I start reverse engineering that back at 20 years, 10 years, five years, and then one year. What are the steps that I can take within the next year to get me closer to that goal? Now, the thing that I had to come to grips with is that I'm never going to save myself to financial freedom. I've got to actually create wealth in order to do that. The only way to really create that wealth is through investing. And so how do I make the investments now that will pay off 10 years, 15, 20 years from now? Because as I look at what I've done over the, you know, the, the, the prior 48 years, I have not managed my money well. I have not put myself in a position where I could retire tomorrow. So what are the things that I can do now? When it comes to my art, the art is the product that I'm using now to sell, to be able to save, to then be able to invest, to be able to reach some of those goals down the line. How I do that is going to vary month by month and year to year. I do have a general direction, but I have the understanding that my taste, my challenges, what drives me is going to change over time. But so long as it contributes to that purpose, then I know that I have the capability to quote unquote retire whenever I want. I just want to be able to, at the end, say that this is what I've been able to build and it aligns with the purpose that I have. Ooh, that was, that was fantastic. And there was a lot of good stuff in there. So, um, also, um, writing your own obituary, that's a little, that's a, an interesting exercise. I don't know if I could do that. Um, maybe, I mean, it seems like a great way to kind of shake hands with the idea a little bit. And then I really like this idea of the backward planning, um, where purpose is the main motivator. And so also, I think you said something that I want to make sure that we don't gloss over at all. And that is, you're not going to be able to save your way to retirement. And I want people to hear that one more time. You're not going to be able to save your way to retirement. Some of us may be lucky enough to, if we're in very high paying jobs, most of us will not be able to do that. What really hit this realization for me talking to my son the other day, um, and I, I know I mentioned this before, but he is in his very first jobs right now. He works at a pizza place, um, you know, getting his first work experience. And at one point he had asked me, so if I do a good job, will they pay me more money? And I was like, no. And when I answered that question, it kind of hit me that for many of us in our regular 
work situations. Um, if we are, you know, supplementing our art with a, a traditional job, it doesn't really matter how much better we do. We are not going to earn more by doing a good job at work. For most of us, they're not going to see what we do and go, you know what, God, you're doing such a good job. Let me give you a few more bucks. We kind of will cap out purely at whatever salary that job earns. And so if you look at the traditional standard of what happens is you get a job and then you create yourself a budget and you be really careful with your money and you save a certain amount of it. And the idea is that if you just keep saving it, someday you are going to have enough to be comfortable. But the problem with that is um, most Americans anyway live paycheck to paycheck. We are very carefully trying to budget in life plus happiness and that always leaves you on the skinny end of things and even if you do a pretty good job saving you may only make yourself enough to 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 live maybe two or three years if you're lucky most folks never even get that far and so understanding how important wealth generation is um being able to generate wealth whether that is through investing in other companies or investing in building a business you have the intention of with you know having an exit strategy for and earning income that way we really have to be thinking about that as artists and if you are merely only saving a little bit now and there are no other plans for the future really could be in trouble in the long run unless you are working another job that has got some kind of retirement savings for you. So I'm really glad you mentioned that because really, I don't think most of us think about that kind of thing, particularly when we're younger and we're setting ourselves up for quite a scrabble toward the end of our career if we haven't thought about those things. So what are some of the things that you're doing now, Matt, with that in mind um, to make sure that you are generating the wealth that you're going to need for later? Well, once I finish crying in the corner most mornings, um, shivering with my own existential dread, what I tend to do is just look at what steps am I taking towards, there was a joke in there somewhere. Um, So what I try to do is say, listen, I haven't done a great job of investing over the course of my career. Um, I burned through a lot of retirements. I made a good amount of money when I was younger. Um, and then basically blew through and cashed in some retirement accounts so that I could fulfill my dream to be a photographer and an artist. And I wasn't very wise with it. So what I try to do now is with the remaining investments that I have, um, I do have a financial advisor whom I trust, and we have figured out strategies to help me manage what I do have remaining with a moderate amount of risk so that it can continue to grow um, and not just sit there um, under the mattress. What I try to do is I am at this point a little too risk averse to want to put everything on the table and be like, let's roll it all on crypto. Like I'm not there yet. So um, what I try to do is just make those plans And then as I'm looking forward to what else can I do for my company, what moves can I, what opportunities come up, it's keeping that growth mindset and looking at everything as an opportunity, not as a, what can I get out of this, but is this going to make me uh, more successful in moving towards my end goal? And does this align with my purpose or does it not? Is this just temporary um, alleviation of, you know, future anxiety? Is it just a dopamine hit? Do I really need that camera? Is it going to make my ship go faster? All those things factor in. And sometimes I'm good at it and sometimes I suck at it. But, you know, it always pops into my head. Is this contributing to the larger goal? With the understanding that small steps, a little bit that I save here, a little bit that I invest into you know another opportunity or another business will that grow um and that's how i approach it i try to look at everything as a choice and as a decision and is it contributing to the larger good or not sounds easy not necessarily all that easy 
but given where I've put myself in life at this point, um, I really don't have another choice besides making those small changes and hoping it compounds over time. Yeah, for sure. I, I know the thing that kind of makes me, um, if anybody has ever read Jane Austen, I'm, I'm always thinking about, um, you know, the, the situation where all of a sudden somebody is kind of thrust into a, a situation where they're on a limited income and now they have to, you know, tighten their belt or tighten their bootstraps. And I'm like, man, I don't want that to be me. Like, I don't want my only option to be, I now have to cut things and experiences, et cetera, out of my life. Um, and if I'm, if I'm not thinking about those things now, then that's certainly a potentiality. And that means that I'm going to have to be a lot more creative and make sure that I'm using some of that creativity now to put myself in a position where that won't be the case later. Um, and I think your experience, Matt, is something a lot of people can connect with. I know several people who have done really similar things for whatever reason something came up, whether it was a move or something where they needed to reach into their retirement and, and pull out a good amount. And, um, and sometimes that can, you know, have huge payoffs, especially when, and I know Ari has talked about this before, but it's worth mentioning again, especially when we're not actually spending that money, but we're investing it. So all we're really doing is changing the form that that money takes. We're taking it out of one bucket and we're putting it into another. And that could be, you know, we're investing in a home, something that is going to, you know, maintain its value or grow in value over time, or we're investing in a company that hopefully will then increase in value. So we're taking that money out of a place where it's stagnant and putting it into a place where it, it can, you know, grow and accrue interest. And hopefully the growth is exponential, but um, go ahead. I saw you. I'm yeah. Sorry. Just, just very quickly on that point, you know, I probably cashed in well over $150,000 worth of retirement funds to become the photographer that I am over time. Basically, I had no job, had to live off things. I made the investment in myself and I basically bet on myself that I could create something. So I don't, I don't ever look at that for me as I wasted money or you know I blew my retirement or anything like that. Those were funds that were earmarked for something, but I invested in myself. I can tell you as I sit here right now, 10 years later, I am infinitely happier with life because of those things that I did than I would have been if I spent another 10 years in the job that I was in. I may have had more money now, but in terms of soul self-satisfaction, I would not be where I am today. So, you know, it's all it depends on how you look at it, but that was the most worthwhile investment I've ever made. For sure. That's fantastic. And that investment in yourself that allows you to be the kind of person who can continue to generate wealth um, in, in ways that matter to you, right? And ones that feel important and and reinforce those values that you were talking about earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But that's it. That's all I had. No, that's a lot. There was actually a lot of really fantastic stuff in there. I hope folks are listening to um, so, of course, I'm going to poke Becca and Kat and just ask y'all that question. Is that something you're thinking about? Are you looking toward what happens later on? How do I prepare myself for eventual either retirement or semi-retirement or whatever? And how do I, how do I, what do I do for that now? And how do I sell my work with that in mind? Um, I'm looking at it. As just simply as a way of, of diversifying, um, I'm trying to diversify as much of my offering now so that I can sort of create a foundation for more passive income moving forward. Um, and, you know, elevating in my career, um, you know, to be doing more education and more course creation. And uh, then, of course, there's also the NFT space as well as a retail line. Um so that, you know, like the, what I'm doing now isn't just spinning wheels and turn around, you know, at, at 60, 65 years old and be like, uh Oh, you know, like I definitely got into the game pretty late as far as, you know, retirement planning goes. Uh, I, you know, I partied for a long time. What can I say? Uh, but you know, now that means that I need to very intentionally create as much as I can that can be, you know, passively 
generated. Um, so that that kind of works like a snowball. And and now, you know, I do have retirement accounts and, and that kind of thing, but I want to be able to to grow for them. So like Bassam was saying, you know, move into product photography. So you're not dealing with a whole team. It can really just be, you know, kind of a one man show and on your own terms, uh, you know, and thinking shifting that perspective has always been really interesting for me uh, because for me, if it doesn't have a face, I don't really know what to do with it. Um, but, you know, that's a whole other conversation. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just diversifying intentionally, not, you know, just spraying and praying, right? But like, okay, I can create this here and this, you know, can over time grow into this and X, Y, and Z. Um, but that's really the the best way I've figured out on how to sort of leverage that to my advantage. Yeah, that's fantastic, Kat. And I know we've talked a little bit about diversification before, but it's it's certainly worth bringing up again in this context. Um, so one of the things that you can do, speaking in the proverbial you, is if you want to start diversifying with the goal of how do I continue to make this income in other areas so that maybe some of it is more passive, right? Um, I don't continue continually have to be on the creation train or on the, you know, the marketing train or whatever it is, a lot of us can actually take things that we're already doing and find ways to monetize those things. So just as an example, um, before I decided to really buckle down and uh, pursue publishing a little bit more, I was trying to look at ways coming back to photography um, after, you know, working for ProEDU, I was looking for ways to continue to monetize what my workflow is. And so for me, I was thinking it would be really smart of me to film my process, um, particularly when I'm working on something really fun, film my process so that I then have something that I can teach people without having to completely in invent a new thing to learn or teach. So they'll be able to see what happens all the way through the process with my sketches and when I'm ideating and when I'm preparing or if I'm sewing a costume or if I'm making armor or whatever it is I'm doing all the way through the shoot and then post-production. Like, what does that look like? And if I can film that process, then what I have is a way to monetize my workflow. And all of a sudden, if that goes up on my website and I'm doing a good job driving traffic to my website, then that becomes a money earner that I don't have to be on top of all the time. Once it's made, it's made and it's already part of my workflow. That also can be included in other areas, depending on what you do. You may be able to have, um, you know, live streams of your editing where folks, you know, maybe if you have a Patreon or something, they are paying to be part of that or to have access to that. So they can talk to you or ask you questions while you edit or draw or whatever it is. Um, some friends of mine who are illustrators have a live brush show where you can go watch them as they do oil paintings of cool pop culture things. And that is an income generating area. So there are a lot of ways that we can take the things that we are already doing and monetize those so that we have a diversity of income that doesn't rely on the limited time we have to spare. And by that, I mean, when we start adding additional things to our day that aren't already part of our workflow, we are the same way we would be cutting into retirement, we're cutting into a limited supply of time. And so unless that is a short-term thing or unless that is something you outsource, you are giving up that, uh, that time that you have. And the only other way to do that is to look at what you're already doing and asking how somebody else can benefit from it. So that diversification is a really huge tool that artists potentially have because maybe your main market is high school seniors. And then your secondary market is other photographers who want to learn how to work with high school seniors. And this has been a really common trend for photographers over the past 10 or so years, how can I continue to monetize the things that I'm already doing and reach out to other audiences? So I think that's a fantastic thing to bring up, Kat, um, as something for people to keep in mind, because hopefully we are diversifying in ways that mean we don't have all of that additional effort because the kind of, you know, part of the point of this conversation is that at some point we're either not going to have time or the desire to constantly be grinding, right? So um, is there anything else you want to kind of add there to that that idea or those thoughts um, before I ask Becca if she's doing anything? 
No, that's that's pretty much as far as I've gotten to this point. But understanding that as your career grows creatively, more of those diversification opportunities come forward. Um, so just to be sort of, you know, have your have your feelers out, always looking for that that opportunity. All right. So that's fantastic. I'm, I'm loving where this conversation is going. And then there's a few more things that we're going to continue to discuss um, after the panelists have shared their thoughts. But first, now I get to poke Becca a little bit on her clubhouse birthday. Um, is this anything that you're thinking about now, Becca, as far as like, what does this look like long term? And are you doing anything now to prepare yourself? So I'm coming in from the perspective of the late blooming young person here. And uh, so re retirement in the traditional sense is something that really hasn't been on my mind until recently. And I kind of, I went into my twenties at the bottom of a giant hole of debt. And I spent years then climbing out of that giant hole. And so things like having a retirement account or investing, you know, were completely foreign to me because I just didn't have the money to do that. Um, and I finally somehow made it to 30 and I've made some smart and lucky real estate decisions and investment decisions. And now I can kind of comfortably be at that point where I can start looking into other ways to generate that wealth like Matt talked about. Um, it's been hard, uh, but you know, here I am able to finally kind of do that. So I'm, I'm only kind of now starting to think more about like what that means, you know, for my art as a business, uh, because I can't sell myself, not really. I can't hire someone to be me. And when it comes to the art itself, it's so utterly compulsive for me. I couldn't stop, even if I wanted to stop, like I have to, there's no retiring from my brain being the way that it is. And even if I say lose my eyesight, I've still got my hands. And you know, if I get arthritis and lose the use of my hands, I've still got my voice. I still have my mind. So I will without fail find some way to still be artistic and creative, even if I don't have to necessarily be earning money off that. But uh, kind of like Kat tapped into already and like you were just talking about Nicole, uh, looking into that diversification is definitely something that I've thought a lot about too. And I've been lucky enough to have working artists as parents and kind of seen the growth and trajectory of their own careers. And both my parents are multidisciplinary artists. Um, I've seen them go through multiple phases of teaching, uh, whether that's in a school or privately, uh, being speakers at like large scale conventions. I've seen my dad go through multiple, multiple different industries because they're creatively interesting to him. And like, that's just always how I envisioned my own life as an artist, just chasing that excitement and that capacity to learn and the capacity to create from that place of learning, because there's so much about art that's continually going to change, so much about technology that's continually going to change. So looking into things like teaching or finding different art styles, whatever that may be, writing a book, like there's so many possibilities for different ways to continue to generate that income as an artist, even if it isn't making the exact same art that you're making right now. Okay, you, you, you touched on a lot of fantastic areas that I think um, a lot of people in that same age group are going to have some experience with. But you said one thing that I grabbed a hold of immediately, and that was, you know, I can't sell myself. I can't sell my brain. And for many of us, we have structured our artistic careers because that's kind of the nature of art around our individual, individual ability to create. And as long as the only income that we earn is from one thing that we can create, our income is always going to be limited to that thing. So if we were to stop making, we would stop earning. We would have the necessity of having to find another job or do something else so that we could continue to earn money. And I think that's something as artists, we really have to think about and, and plan for, which is why that idea of how do I sell my work was kind of inherent to this question I wanted to ask everybody, because for those artists who are you know, you are making a product, the product leaves, and then it stops being able to generate income for you. Like once that product is out of your hand, its income generation capabilities stop and you have to make a new thing in order to continue to make money. And we need to be thinking about that, even if it is, even if uh, as portrait photographers, you know, somebody shows up, 
they get their portrait taken, they leave, your income generating ability stops with them. We really need to look at what we can do that is scalable in order to take advantage of the income potential from that art in the long term. So just as an example, let's say you are a oil painter and part you have kind of two options that you get to take. There are two paths that you get to take. One is that that oil painting itself is priced highly enough that it not only pays for itself, but it pays extended dividends beyond just paying for itself and making you a little bit of income. So maybe that oil painting, in order for you to really make what you need to make off of it, it needs to be $30,000. But in order to get there, that is a path that you have to be willing to take, meaning you have to cultivate a certain appearance to your collectors and you have to schmooze those collectors. They have to find your work desirable and collectible. And then that work needs to be rare enough that the amount that is paid for it seems worthwhile to people. And that is a very kind of traditional gallery approach to how to make a living off of art. But it does require that you cultivate a certain appearance and a way of working. The other way is to find out how can I take this single piece of art and diversify it in as many ways as possible. So as an example, I've mentioned Chris Reiniak before, but I think it's a, a, fant a fantastic example of how you can do this from a retail setting. He sketches a monster about every day. Those things go up on Instagram. That is his outreach. Those sketches then may eventually become paintings. Those sketches and paintings both can be sold on his website. So for $15, I can go and buy a really adorable little sketch of a monster that I can hang on my wall. The painting might cost a little bit more, but those things also can be bought by a lot of people. So their scalability is huge because anybody can buy, meaning as long as that website is functional and traffic is going there, you can be making an income from those things. Um, then you have the extended part of that. So that painting may then become a sculpture or um, and that sculpture becomes cast so that it can then be sold um, multiple times over the years. So not only does the sculpture sell, which is a lot of money, um, or he may keep that sculpture sculpture back, but the the casted pieces that are then painted um, go for sale on the website a few times a year and people buy them really, really quickly. So um, are you paying attention to what time it is, kiddo? Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm talking to my kid who needs to be catching the bus. Um, so anyway, that, that single piece, that workflow, that single piece of art then gets broken down to become many things. And so that extends the earning capability of that single piece. And that is something that we can be keeping in mind as artists. How can I take this one piece? So if I have... Um, if I have a painting, maybe that painting can also become a bag, a pattern on my Shopify store. Maybe it also can become a great big print um, that has, you know, been scanned from the original work. Maybe that also then becomes a design pack that can go out for graphic designers to potentially use in their designs that they can license. Maybe that also, you see the point there, those things can extend. Ooh, I'm going to sneeze. Excuse me. Um, so we can then extend that earning potential of that individual piece by doing things in that way. Also keep in mind that that then becomes the, the form of your job, right? That, that becomes the way that you have to work in order to earn an income. Um, so those are a couple of things that you can keep in mind. And it's also been mentioned, um, that some artists will in fact can you take that away from me <laughs> sorry some artists will in fact save back pieces in order to sell so that may be um you know a, a really popular print that people were buying the piece that was created from that the original piece gets kept to be sold eventually later on and so we have to we really do have to be thinking how do we do this in the long term? How does this continue to make an income in the long term? So, I mean, stepping stepping away, though, from art as product and mind, uh, and looking rather at mind as product, I mean, there's ways to pursue and scale that as well. And I think, you know, talking about, like, the why 
of your art is maybe a really good place to start with that, really kind of refining down what it is that makes your art unique and valuable to people and how can you continue, even if you are not working to physically create that art yourself, how can you continue to provide that value for people? So that can be things like stepping away from the position of illustrator and moving into the position of producer or creative director or something like that. Or even if you are then kind of, again, diversifying and relying purely on your mind and instead of the art itself, I mean, there's, there's ways. There's, there are ways to chase that path too and not be in that constant state of nonstop creation when worrying about the art as the product. Yeah, absolutely. So we have the art as the product and then we have ourselves and our mind as the product, right? And so um, hopefully what that means is that we have, and we have considered the fact that we have multiple different ways to earn that income. Um, and we're cultivating those things and we need to be at least thinking about those things now um, so that we can plan for those things in the future. And I had checked out this morning, um, actually, let me step back from that a little bit. I want to make sure friends in the audience have time to ask questions or give thoughts. So if you are an artist, photographer, a writer, any person in a creative field who is looking towards how do I sell my work now or how do I prepare myself now for the fact that someday I will either be retired or be selling my business or be stepping away from this entirely, I would love to have you raise your hand so we can explore some of the things you're doing. Or if you have questions, um, please go ahead and raise your hand. Keeping in mind, we've only got about 15 plus minutes left. Um, and then as I wait for folks to raise their hand, I want to touch on um, an article that I was checking out this morning. This is actually from the UK. But in this, they had done quite a bit of research and found that um, in those markets, only about 16% of the artists that they surveyed were actually looking toward or doing anything about planning for retirement. Um, some artists are relying on their partner as, you know, the, the sole bread earner who is then has a pension or something like that. Um, but the amount of artists that were actually looking towards this time in their lives was really, really small. And given some of the examples that I mentioned earlier on, it's obviously an issue that artists have had for a long time. And there are some places where the, um, or so I should say there are some countries that try to support artists in the way where there are um, pensions provided by the state, but those things are still relatively low. So try to keep those things in mind. And then also, I think it's important before um, Erica shares her thoughts, I think it's also important for us to mention, not all artists are freelancers. And so if you if you decide to, you can always absolutely look to be hired as an artist for a company that then does provide a pension. So um, not all of us have to go at it from this solo perspective or this freelance perspective. You can go work for Disney or Wizards of the Coast or um, you know, for any company who needs artists, you can go and find positions like that as a full-time artist for a company and then, you know, take advantage of the options that they offer. So that is a thing as well. So Erica, would love to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah, um, I, I kind of am uh, incorporating an all of the above type of um, plan for my retirement, even though uh, at this point I do not desire or ever plan to retire, but I know a day will come. So, um, so honestly, you know, I'm thinking of other types of photography, like Bassam said, that will um, go with my lifestyle at that point uh, and, and starting to dabble in them now. Um, but probably the biggest thing that I have done is I invested in my own um, building. My, my studio is mine. So um, I chose my first, I don't know, four or five years of of my business to not take any income and just save, save, save that money, um, was able to find a place um, that was up for auction when real estate was super cheap and I invested and I've invested, you know, to improve that building. So when I go to retire, the business is more than just me and my equipment. Um, so, you know, there's a couple of different routes that I could take and I'm still deciding on what I want to do at that time. I could sell the building and then just have, 
that chunk of money for retirement, I could rent that building to somebody who's not a photographer and have that residual income. I could choose to rent it to a photographer or at this point or, you know, before I plan to retire, I could bring someone on as an associate and, you know, with the hopes that they could buy me out by the time I'm ready to retire. So there's a lot of different options with that, but I, you know, I feel fortunate that I was able to get that building when I did. And now I feel like I'm sitting on more than just my merits as a photographer for when I retired. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and, and that kind of brings to mind something that we've talked a little bit about in the past, which is having that exit strategy. You know, what does this look like? How do I step away from this in the long term? And for many of us, um, we, we recognize that number one, we've named our businesses after ourselves, which is great for name recognition and not so great for being able to exit in the long term. Um, and so those are some things that we need to think about if we have the idea that our business does become our exit strategy and that eventually we sell our business, hopefully at a profit, um, and that is the money that we then have to step away with. And so, you know, the things that you mentioned, understanding the different ways in which that space will benefit you long term, um, whether you keep it or sell it or rent it or whatever it is that obviously becomes a really important thing. I know I mentioned to my husband, um, we, we talked about the possibility of potentially, you know, buying a piece of property at some point. And I mentioned the fact that, you know, traditionally this was a, a way that you earned an income, your property earned that income for you. That's what being a gentleman meant. Um, you owned the property, somebody rented it, they farmed it, they did whatever with it. You lived off of the proceeds of that property. And that's not always something that we take advantage of um, like we should these days. So it's important to keep that in mind. And from a business perspective, like what does that look like for us? Well, we have to be thinking about what it looks like when we hand our business off. So if the idea is that we build this business, we love it, it's our baby, it makes our money, um, we live off of it, we, you know, we benefit from it for years, and then eventually we decide to step away and sell our business. Well, if you were going to buy a business to run, what would you need? And remember, you're buying that business because it's already doing well, because it has the name recognition, because there are systems in place that you can just step in and take over and know that you're going to be profitable. And that is the thing that you have to be thinking about if the business is the exit strategy. We mentioned time and time again, systems and how we build those and standard operating procedures so that when it is time to give something away, somebody can step into it and that's really what they're buying they're buying those systems in the way that the business runs so that they have value there that's not they don't have to put in the 10 years that you put in to understand how to make this thing work so that is a potential exit strategy long term but you do have to be making smart decisions about how you run your business now so that you can hand it over in the future so as we near the end of the hour, I want to ask if there's anybody else in the audience today, are you looking towards what you are going to do at the end of your career? Are you making any decisions now about what that looks like? Or do you have any serious questions that you want to dig into um, before we get towards the, the very end here? I want to make sure everybody has a chance to ask. And then are there any final thoughts, y'all, after this kind of discussion that we've been having are there any final thoughts about how we prepare ourselves for what it looks like when we step away from maybe the creation of art as a career? And I know, like you said, Becca, for most of us, we will never stop making things. It's not a question of, will I not be creative anymore? It really is a question of what does that time in my life look like when I am not trying to make a living off of the individual pieces that I create? I just have to continue to be quiet until somebody feels so awkward that they figure out something to say or a question to ask. Nobody in the audience today? No thoughts or questions, huh? All right, we've got a hand. Got a couple. Okay, grabbing Carol and 
Oops. Is that Josh Walker? I can't see. Okay, um, Carol, please go ahead. And then Josh, yeah, Joshua after that. Hi. Um, well, I have all this, as I think I've said in here more than once. Um, I have all this work done. I'm at the point of not knowing um, how to sell. I definitely have seen the possibilities of how many different directions it has gone. It could go, I mean, sorry. Um, and, you know, people say, well, you know, um, find somebody that you don't have to do it all yourself, you know, find somebody. Um, I've been trying to find somebody for years. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to find somebody I can trust. I know how to find people I can't trust. I've had that happen over and over. And um, so I'm left with a lot of product that could be turned into a lot of different things. Um, but I'm at square one when it comes to knowing how to, you know, uh, make that happen. I, I just don't know. So anyway, Carol, I'm done. Um, does anybody want to kind of tackle that position a little bit and, and throw some ideas that way for if we need to be able to hand over, um, because this is something that is broadly applicable, not just to Carol's situation, but I mean, think about this in terms of if you were to need to hand over running the business and you were staying on either as a shareholder or just as the owner, and you were the one who needed to profit from the business, how do you find somebody who can run that for you so that you can trust that you're going to be earning the income you should be in the business should be going in the direction that it needs to go. Bassam, do you have any thoughts there as our kind of business guru? Honestly, not necessarily in, in, in the sphere that we're discussing right now. I mean, I, I see Carol's uh, dilemma of, of not knowing where to turn um and not finding people she can trust but there's a, i wish we can i mean i wish we can have some words of wisdom about how to find that that person that can kind of guide you through doing it because she does amazing work and i'm sure there's somebody out there if not hundreds of people that would love to get their hands on what she has and 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 find and, and market it and sell it and and she could just sit in home and enjoy her retirement making money off that that life work I just wish I can push a button and tell her this is what you do. I, I can't do it myself, and I apologize for that. I feel like I wish I can help. But there's somebody Wait. out there that can. Is there somebody out there that can, if not hundreds of them, by the way? Sure. I was thinking more along the lines of, um, you know, as somebody who has worked with employees, essentially what she's looking for is an employee, right? Um, and so are there things that we that we look at or that we can look for in somebody that we hire? Or do we just have to take that leap of faith and make sure contracts are in place that we can then, you know, actuate on if something goes wrong? Is that kind of the choice that we have there? Well, well, I think I think uh, what's important that finding an employee, if she's looking at having somebody that she can hire that can take care of things and get those things done that that she may not uh, have, have found a way to do, I think it's looking out for for uh, uh, people with the right mindset in in terms of abundance, in terms of of sales, in terms of go, being out on the road, and I mean it, I don't mean that literally, but being out knocking on doors. Uh, I think she needs to hire somebody who is a business development young person who is who is uh, um, adept at uh, today's technologies, at today's ways of marketing and reaching people. Um, that's what I would look for. I mean, the, 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 obviously they have to be in the close to or in the art business, but the profile I would look for is exactly what I just described. Um, and uh, try. I mean, you have time to try and hire and fire and hire and fire. I mean, we don't get it right the first time. But, you know, write down a profile of a person that can complement what you do, Carol. Complement what you do because you can't do it all. And and uh, ask a friend who can help you recruit somebody. I mean, you, you can find a friend who can help you get to that type of uh, profile if you, if you can't recruit yourself. So... It's just having clarity about what is it 
that it takes for somebody to go out and sell my stuff and sure. then take a leap of faith and try them out. Right. And then I think also, you know, I mentioned contracts. So that's something for us to keep in mind because eventually, um, you know, I, I have several things that I eventually want to hand off to somebody. I don't want to walk away from them entirely, but I do, like I said, kind of want to be a shareholder who can just benefit from that in the long term. And so how am I going to make that decision? Who do I find and how do I hand that off? And, um, you know, this is germane to that question. And part of it is I have to have something worthwhile to give to somebody first. And what I mean by that is I need to have, and this is something I recognize, um, you know, at least in my case, I have to have put in the work for that first so that somebody looks what I have and they see that as a profitable opportunity. Um, or I have to find somebody who sees it, the potential in that and, and sees in it an opportunity to build something of their own. So if I were in your position, Carol, I think I might actually be looking at college students who are in that part of the business on their way to, you know, wanting to run a business dedicated to the selling of art. Um, and I may be looking for somebody in those positions who want to start on the ground running. Like, look, you already have an artist with a product. How do you turn this into an income? This is a, a potential for somebody um, because the creation um, is something some of us can do and some of us are not really good at. So we need to find somebody who complements that. And I think, you know, potentially a, a college student or somebody getting ready to graduate from an art department might be a fantastic person or even from a business department might be a fantastic person to look for in that way. Um, and then I do know folks who have worked with people purely on a, um, if you don't have, you know, the, the income um, to just hire somebody straight out. I do know folks who have worked with people purely on a, um, on the basis of earning royalties off of a sale. So, you know, whenever somebody makes a sell of your art, they get 15% of that sell or whatever it is that they have agreed upon. But um, I know people who have worked things out that way as well. So that might be a couple of things to consider, not only for your situation, but for those of us who do want an exit strategy eventually. And how do we decide who to come in and take over for us and who we can trust knowing that we're going to be earning that income from those hard-earned pieces that we should in the long term. So I hope I hope that was helpful a little bit, Carol. Thanks for the feedback. Yeah, I've been trying. I, I have tried at schools. and Anyway, I'll keep trying, you know. <laughs> that's all I can do. Thank you. That's so true. Um, that's so true, just like you and Basam both said. Sometimes we just have to go over and over again until we land with the right person or the opportune moment. So it can be frustrating, but... Um, grit is the great equalizer, right? So um, Joshua, want to make sure we hear from you and then we'll start closing down for today. Sure. Thanks for having me up. Um, let me just add to the, the conversation of, of uh, Carol's situation. I don't, I don't know what kind of sales you currently have, um, but one thing you really have to keep in mind when you are looking to bring somebody on is that if you don't have a proven model in other words like you know if, if you aren't selling five thousand dollars worth of art every month or, or something along those lines to where a commission for example would make sense you have to make sure that you're you're waiting that because the risk is much greater for somebody to come on board especially if they're working on a commission basis if there isn't already a pipeline in place um you know a lot of times you, people will bring somebody on because they need to manage their incoming <clears throat> their incoming leads so the leads are coming in and they're just helping to close the sales which is very different than somebody who has a catalog of art that that um, doesn't have a, a huge record of sales so again i don't know where you are um, in that process but that's something you really have to keep in mind um, when you know how you're compensating somebody or, or how you are incentivizing somebody to want to work with um, and also make sure that in the long run and not just in the short term, um, you know, to, to be able to help, you know, move um, whatever your, your products are. Yeah, that's a great insight, Joshua, and um, was definitely what I was getting at when I mentioned, you know, um, I have to have a business that is profitable in order for somebody to want to profit off of it. It needs to be proven. And that is always my personal <laughs> my biggest struggle because there's so many things I want to outsource um, and give away. And yet I cannot yet because there needs to be a good reason for somebody else to want them. <laughs> and if nobody else wants them, not even me, 
then there's a really good chance that they're probably not going to want it either. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a fantastic point to make. Okay. So I'm going to start closing things down today. Understanding that as artists, we are often limited by our capability to produce, meaning like Becca said before, we cannot sell our brains, right? And if all of our income is incumbent upon or relies upon us being able to create, then we are the valve in the pipeline. And as soon as we shut off, our income shuts off. So that means that for the long term, we have to be making smart decisions about how to continue to earn an income from either or and our brains, our art, our the way that we think, our ability to teach, our ability to monetize the work that we create in multiple areas. Uh, we have to be considering those things because at some point we are either going to not want to create as the means of our living or we are going to have circumstances arise that pull us away from our ability to do so. Whether that is I now I just want to create for me now or my hands won't let me hold the paintbrush anymore or whatever it is, at some point we're going to reach that place. So what do we do now to start preparing for that? And I don't necessarily want to call it retirement because it, it's going to look like different things for all of us. But some things that we can be considering is diversifying our income. How can we take what we're doing now and multiply our ability to earn an income from it? Where can we invest in opportunities that will continue to give us an income? And when I say invest, I don't just mean things like stock, but also, as Erica has, in a building, invested in a building and a thing that will earn money in the long run, whether that is from a sale or for rent, um, you have then that capability, whether that is our business. Our business is then our exit strategy. When we sell our business, we sell it at profit because we have not just the physical value, which some businesses get sold for. If you if you ever pay attention to what happens, many businesses will be bought. All of the you know physical aspects get sold. And then the name and the processes are what are taken on the name, the processes, and then, of course, the audience, the clients, the consumers. So it's important to keep in mind what we can do. And as Becca mentioned, um, if the creation itself ceases to become the income, all of a sudden we need to become the income. And whether that is that we are teaching or we are mentoring or we are doing public speaking or we are doing inspirational speaking for other artists, um, there are um, writing a book. There are a myriad of ways that we can take our experience and monetize those things. So you are all artists, creative souls with fantastic brains. Be thinking about what you can do now that will make you profitable and comfortable later on in your life, in your career as an artist, because none of us want to exemplify that trope of the starving artist. That is not why we do what we do. We love to create, but we also deserve to live. And so how do we balance those things um, I woke up wanting to explore that idea this morning, and I think we've canvassed a lot of really fantastic ground and hopefully talked about some things that at least got folks who were not thinking about it thinking about it. And those of us who are, hopefully it helps crystallize things a little bit um, because it's coming eventually in one form or another, whether that is just leaving this career entirely or whether that is, you know, old age or illness or something else that's stopping us. It's coming eventually for all of us. So we need to be thinking about those things and paying attention to, at least for me, the key word this year is scalability. That's the big thing I'm, I'm asking myself because I recognize that an individual piece only has so much capability to earn. So how do I make these things scalable to reach as many people as possible? If you pay attention, scalability is the name of the game for all of the very highest income earners the question always becomes how do you get this into more people's hands um that is the reason we get irritated when people like football players or movie stars make so much money per job it's not because their job is inherently more valuable it's because their job is scalable it can reach a whole lot of people even if the individual price isn't very much so we have to be looking at all of those things 
for the long term and deciding as Matt mentioned and also Bassam mentioned, how does that contribute to the life I wanna live, the priorities and maybe the legacy that I wanna walk away from when I leave this world. So hopefully this conversation today was helpful. Um, I super appreciate everybody being here and sharing their thoughts and ideas around this issue. It's not always a comfortable topic, but it's a really important one. And so I hope that you got something out of it and you're thinking about that long-term also, I hope you run over and check out theartistforge.com. We are putting up podcasts and blog articles with transcripts just about every day, aside from weekends. So there's always really fantastic information up there to look at. Um, head over to our Facebook group. You can see the link up at the top where these conversations continue. If you're not working on the January challenge, get your cell phone out and go take pictures with the camera. Make pretty things. Thursday is coming up soon. And we want to be able to have some work to look at, guys. So go make some great stuff. Remember to share it in the group with the hashtag January challenge. It is any art you can make using your phone camera. So go do that thing, share that, and then join us on Thursday when we get together for the last live stream of the month so that we can go check out all of the cool stuff you have made and use our visual literacy skills to break it all down. So I hope you will be doing that. In the meantime, go make something amazing and join us tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. That's 6 for the West Coast and 9 for the East Coast afternoon for our friends overseas. Have a fantastic day, everybody, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks again for listening to this live Clubhouse discussion moderated by all of us at The Artist Forge. We hope you found the information useful and that it helps you gain a little bit of insight as to how you work on your craft. For more episodes, please join us each weekday on Clubhouse or visit theartistforge.com. Now go make something incredible.